and welcome to Young and Sober, the podcast where we discuss what it means to get sober under the age of 30 and to stay sober. If you're sober, sober curious, or just curious, you've come to the right place. Any discussion heard here is the experience of the individual and should not be taken as a stance of AA as a whole. Welcome to episode 58. I'm Dan, and along with Lottie, we'll be discussing being young, sober, and alcoholic stereotypes. How are you doing today, Lottie? I'm very well, thanks, Dan. Um, excited to talk about this because this is one of my um, most interesting topics within AA. You know, what constitutes an alcoholic? And there's so many misconceptions out there. I'm looking forward to getting into it with you. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Um, also excited about the topic. Also excited that you and I finally got to meet in person last night at a meeting. So that was fun and exciting. Yeah, you weren't just a floating head. So um, we can confirm that Dan has a body, everyone. Very good. I'm, I'm glad that somebody else was able to confirm that. Started to convince myself. I it was touch and go. It was touch and go at times. Exactly. So before we start, we'll have a question from our listener, Matilda, who said, I've been in the rooms for four months and really identify. But anytime I tell friends or family, they say, you're not an alcoholic. What a well-timed for a question by Matilda for our episode. Thank you, Matilda. Lots. Do you want to start with this one? Sure. This one I can completely relate to, as I can with most listener questions, which is always lovely. I mean, yeah, I had completely the same reaction, to be honest, when I came in. I think that there's a couple of factors at play. The first being that I surrounded myself with people who drank like me. So when I decided to come to my first meeting, there was a lot of self-reflection that went on with that friendship group in terms of them, you know, if I'm an alcoholic, they're an alcoholic, most probably. So there was a lot of people who responded in a selfish way without, you know, with no judgment towards them, I probably would have done the same, but they responded, you know, thinking about themselves and comparing themselves. So I got a lot of you know, you're not an alcoholic. You just, you just get a bit too drunk. You just can't, you know, sometimes you can't handle it or you can definitely learn to control it. You know, remember that time that you had two pints at the pub and you were fine. And in response to that, now my response would be very different. But at the time it was actually really, really unhelpful. And, you know, it could have potentially led me out of the program. So I do think it's one of the most important things to talk about within, you know, within the rooms. And I think also the second reason as to why people maybe thought I wasn't an alcoholic is because there's a big, big conception out there with muggles. We'll go into how we want to talk about people who aren't in the program a bit later, Dan, about what an alcoholic is. And interestingly, I had a conversation with a couple of friends last week and they were interested in the program and I kind of told them a bit about it and I told them about what I felt made me an alcoholic and they were just shocked because a lot of people think that an alcoholic is someone who has nothing, who has lost their homes, lost their family, who's drinking every hour of the day, who's drinking in the morning, who has nothing left really and that's true of some people for sure. I would never ever claim that that's not the truth but for me, that wasn't the truth and it didn't need to be the truth because for me, an alcoholic is someone who has lost control and who has no control. I don't know what you think about that, Dan. Do you want to add something? Yeah. Shout out to somebody who actually said this 
in a meeting last night when they were describing to a friend, this person was talking about it and they said their friend told them who was not an alcoholic, but their friend told them that they thought being an alcoholic was when you stopped controlling the alcohol and it started controlling you. And that doesn't talk about any of the externals, any of the impact, any of what's around you. And I, I think, you know, I struggled with this when I first came in. My friends had known me for a really long time. They all knew I was an alcoholic. So for them, it was no brainer. Dan's an alcoholic. It's great that he's gone to AA. I find now the, the people that questioned whether like, so Matilda was saying it was four months in, like for me around that period, the people that would have questioned it were the people that had just met me. So they might've met me just before I came in the rooms or after. And I think for them, what it was, was there started to be a disconnect between who I was as a person and this concept of an alcoholic. And so what was really important for me to understand is that the only thing that makes me an alcoholic is that when I drink, I can't stop drinking and the consequences mount. And so I think that was, that was kind of, for me, what I had to do. And I remember I had a, a conversation, I think I've talked about it on another podcast where somebody said, you know, well, if you are just a heavy drinker, but coming to AA sorts out your life, then is that really the worst thing? It's like, no, it's not. So yeah, Matilda, it, it's tough. I think when you're sharing about being an alcoholic that early in the rooms, like Lost was saying, people can say things that make you start to think, oh, maybe I'm not like pull you away. And so it's just, we're really focusing on why you came into the rooms. One piece of advice I always give people when they're really fresh in is to just write something down about why they went to that meeting so they can come back and reflect on it. And so, you know, write the next time you're feeling like, oh no, this is the right place, write it down. So that then when you start to wonder, you can reflect back. Lots, I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, yeah, completely relate to everything you said. And as you were just making that kind of last point, it also, I think, is important to note when you come in that you are, well, for me, I can only speak for me, but I was definitely still looking for any excuse not to join AA and not to stop drinking because it's important to remember we're still sick and I still am sick today, you know, however many years in. And I think that people's opinions can often, when you come in, you, you know, for me, I wasn't. I wasn't secure in myself in the way that I am today. So people's opinions really did affect me and impact me. And what I would say is just to choose wisely who you, you know, share or ask opinions of or ask advice from, because it can be that people unknowingly respond in a way that is, you know, selfish, I guess, ultimately, without any intention of that being the case. It can, it can mean that they respond with their, their own self in mind. So just watch out for who you ask opinions of or who you, who you talk about it openly with. I think that's also really important to note because I definitely was looking for as many reasons not to join AA as possible. As a 23-year-old, that was not where I wanted to end up. And I just think it's important to keep in mind. Great advice, Matilda. Thanks for writing in. Other listeners. If you want to hear us answer, talk about, discuss, maybe even plan an entire episode around your question, like we did with Matilda's, please reach out. The info's in the show description. Moving on to the topic. I think one of the really interesting things for me on this topic, lots, is there, I do think there's a bit of a cultural difference between the, the US and the UK on acceptance of alcoholism, people being in recovery, the, the cultures there, which have probably influenced both of our opinions. So I think we'll get into that. Uh, but to start off by asking you, before you came to AA, what was your idea of 
an alcoholic? Really good question. And I often think about this because prior to, yeah, 23, I honestly had no recollection or no memories of ever really coming across anyone within recovery. When I was 23, I actually met someone who was in recovery and just before I came in and I thought it was this kind of super edgy, cool club that you had to kind of graduate to from very bad behavior, essentially. I I also, from conversations with friends, not, you know, personal connections, thought like I'm sure 99% of 23-year-olds do that recovery is something that you come to when you've lost everything, as I previously mentioned. So you come to recovery, you come into the program, you are an alcoholic when you have no one left in the world that cares about you or can do anything for you. And I remember watching this Louis Theroux documentary, which is incredible. I would really recommend anyone who wants to know more about alcoholism. And in this Louis Theroux documentary, he follows a guy who is struggling with alcoholism. And I remember being kind of chilled by it because there was definitely similarities, but this guy is a daily drinker and ends up in hospital a lot. And I remember kind of that also being the reason for me to think I'm not an alcoholic. And as I've come through the program and and talked to many, many, many people, it seems to me that there is two types or, or many different types of alcoholic, but primarily there's the binge drinker and there's the daily drinker, 24 hour drinker, morning drinker. So actually there's many, many, but for me, I was definitely in the binge drinker bracket of alcoholism. And I honestly had no perception that that was anything to do with alcoholism. I don't know about you, Dan. Yeah. So I think for me, looking back, so when I was drinking, one of my friends after going to Oktoberfest said, we need to go to Oktoberfest before you quit drinking. I was actively drinking at the time. And so I always say when your friends start talking about when you eventually will start quit drinking, then you're definitely an alcoholic. I think for me, the exposure to recovery is higher in the US. I think it's higher on TV shows. You see, you know, we talked about this with Alex a bit more, not always good reflections of alcoholism or AA, but you, you see it, you know, you'll watch an episode of Law and Order and it's there and things like this. And it's starting to be that way, I think more on British TV as well. So there's an understanding of it. I think I knew that once I was an alcoholic, AA was kind of the place to go. I didn't really think of other options. And I feel a lot of people get their exposure to more, you know, high class as opposed to low bottom. You know, you hear all these different words that people use to describe different types of alcoholics, but a lot of it's through celebrity. So people will know famous musicians, actors, comedians who go into recovery and they get that exposure from, from there. So I think those start to change people's idea of what an alcoholic is, but even then it's excess. It's, oh, this person's just was being too much lots. I don't know if that's oh, literally, I was just writing down something to add to it. And then you said it, which is very strange, but yeah, you were saying on TV and you Literally all of the TV shows, which I love, includes sobriety and a sponsor and the rooms. And I love it. All that AA recovery jargon is epic. But it does frustrate me at times because it's often the most extreme cases of alcoholism and addiction. And I think that's super important to have coverage or whatever, exposure of that. But I do hope that in, you know, in, in the coming years, 
alcoholics who aren't necessarily a daily drinker and haven't lost everything are represented within TV and film. I'm sure everyone has is familiar with Euphoria, which is such an amazing program and is hard hitting and very, you know, makes makes myself reflect a lot on on my journey of being a teenager and suffering with addiction. And yeah, it is it is interesting. But I hope in the future, you know, series like Euphoria represent struggles with alcohol and drugs in a way that isn't super extreme and ha- they you know they have to be casted off to rehab and you know the story how it goes down yeah i i think you know going to the, the topic here right so the idea of what's an alcoholic and when you come in a lot of people will say i knew you know i was an alcoholic because the neighbors were drank more than me there was that guy that lost his job and I only was late and got a warning. You know, you, you build whatever reasoning why you're not an alcoholic into, into your mental. So you, I think we all have our conception and coming into AA, it starts to change. I think one of the, one of my favorite passages in the big book is actually not in the first 164 pages. And I'm not like a big, big book basher. But it's the, they stopped in time reading, which there's a young person's meeting in, in London on a Friday night. And they always start the meeting with this reading. Lots, I don't know if you've heard it before. I have, because you shared it last night. That's a trick question, Dan. I don't appreciate that. Yeah. So, and and we were just chatting before the podcast about, you know, what we were going to focus on. And to be honest, I really don't think we should focus on getting sober and the description of the alcoholic and understanding what an alcoholic is personally without sharing this reading. So Dan, do you want to take it away? I was really trying to bat this to to lots here, but yeah, I will do that for those of you that haven't heard it before. They stopped in time. Among today's incoming AA members, many have never reached the advanced stages of alcoholism, though given time, all might have. Most of these fortunate ones have had little or no acquaintance with delirium, with hospitals, asylums, and jails. Some were drinking heavily, and there had been occasional serious episodes, but with many, drinking had been little more than a sometimes uncontrollable nuisance. Seldom had any of these lost either health, business, family, or friends. Why do men and women like these join AA? The 17 who now tell their experience answer that question. They saw that they had become actual or potential alcoholics, even though no serious harm had yet been done. They realized that repeated lack of drinking control when they really wanted control was a fatal symptom that spelled problem drinking. This, plus mounting emotional disturbances, convinced them that compulsive alcoholism already had them. That complete ruin would be only a question of time. Seeing this danger, they came to AA. They realized that In the end, alcoholism could be as mortal as cancer. Certainly no sane man would wait for a malignant growth to become fatal before seeking help. Therefore, these 17 AAs and hundreds of thousands like them have been saved infinite years of suffering. They sum it up something like this. We didn't wait to hit bottom because, thank God, we could see the bottom. Actually, the bottom came up and hit us. That sold us on Alcoholics Anonymous. So... That is in the second half of the book for those. The reason, those that don't know, there's stories at the back of the big book. So they're saying the 17 in that section is actually talking about 17 personal stories that you can read. So in case you never looked at the big book, that's where that reading comes from. It is probably my favorite reading in the book because I think for me as somebody who came in, I came in at 27, I was like a month 
into my 27th year. So I feel like I was 26 because I want to be young and cool when I came in. Loss, you were even younger and cooler at 23. Resentful about that. I, I am quite resentful. Yeah. So it is, you know, not everybody can can come in super young and, and claim that. We all come in at the right time, all that. But you, but you did also celebrate 2000 days sober yesterday. So, you know, there's got to be something within that that's quite cool. I did, yes. You know, it would be 2030 if I'd come in a month earlier and it's 26, just saying, you know. But yes, it is. It is quite cool. Thanks lots for the 2000. Yes, it was It was a good day. So for, for you as somebody who came in at 23 and, you know, even going back to Matilda, who's wondering, you know, why her friends think she's not an alcoholic. Is there stuff in this reading that kind of you relate to now and reflect on? Yes, I love this passage so much. And I think if anyone is thinking that they might be an alcoholic and maybe they're too young and they don't feel like enough has happened to them, then this is completely perfect for them to read. I wrote a few things down, which I thought interesting to kind of mention. And the first is the phrase, an uncontrollable nuisance. And it just reminds me of like, you know, a drunk. Basically, I used to have this persona that people used to kind of label me with, which was the drunk uncle. And basically... I used to hit this point within my drinking where I would just make really inappropriate comments and just be kind of annoying and a bit of a nuisance. But it was something that I couldn't control and people kind of learned to love it. I say, you can see me right now. I'm like putting my fingers up and being like, yeah, they loved it. Code four, they absolutely tolerated you barely. And like they couldn't ostracize you completely because like when you weren't drinking, you were like, okay, person. Exactly. That's like, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's just, yeah, I was uncontrollably a nuisance and the drunk uncle would come out probably about five drinks in, I would say. So yeah, that just made me laugh and made me just go back to that time of being an uncontrollable nuisance that I was. And yeah, I mean, it's it's mirroring exactly what we said at the beginning of the episode, which was basically they're saying an an alcoholic is having a a lack of control. And what I really, really love about that phrase, a lack of control, is it's so simple. And it's so easy to relate to. If you have one drink and you don't know, you want to stop, but you don't know where you're going to end up, that is a lack of control. If you have one drink and you look yourself in the mirror and you say it's just going to be one drink and then you wake up the next day from blackout, that is a lack of control. And these are all things that I experienced within my drinking. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so I was actually going to say, did you ever do the is AA for you? self-assessment i think i googled what is an alcoholic definitely i didn't do the self-assessment can you shed some light on that so i didn't i didn't do this but i've heard people talk about it and so i i looked it up so one is have you ever decided to stop drinking for a week or so but only lasted a couple of days tick tick do you wish people would mind their own business about your drinking Stop telling you what to do. I mean, double tick. Have you ever switched from one kind of drink to another in the hope that it would keep you from getting drunk? I mean, this is this is this is it for me because I went through. I literally went through them all. I went from like Bacardi breezes to cider to beer to tequila to wine, and I had to stop drinking them because basically I blacked out so much that I vomited everywhere. And then the the, the taste of that or the smell of that drink, I could no longer drink. So I was. I was running out of drinks. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I, I, I hit them all. I mean, I also had the thing of I would always return to whiskey. 
So like, no matter what it was, the night would end up with Jameson shocks. It's just unavoidable. So this is going to the misconception one. This is a big one. Have you had to have a drink upon waking up during the past year? So obviously before you came in, like morning drinking is a big line that people always draw. Their idea is an alcoholic has to be someone who drinks in the morning. Would, would, you, have, would you have said yes before you came in? I would have, for me personally, I mean, I'm sure there was times where I woke up with an absolutely raging hangover, I had blacked out, was petrified, and all I could think of was having another drink because I wanted to basically get out of that fear. I, I, I couldn't put a time on what time that drink would be, but for me, my my kind of go-to to escape that poor horseman was I would smoke I would smoke weed. And I know that this is an alcoholic podcast, but I mean, any kind of escape is, in my opinion, makes you an addict. And I would, yeah, I would often wake up and, and smoke smoke some weed to get rid of that fear, which kind of was funny because I did it, I think, because it was the drinking in the morning I knew was the last step. And I was like, I can't do that because I'm not an alcoholic. And it's not that, you know, I, I just can't do that, which, you know, some could argue makes me not an alcoholic. But I was trying to change the way that I feel, I, I felt and me, I used, I used drugs for that. And what about you, Dan? Yeah. So, so with that one in uni, you might wake up after a big night out and in the U S when you're in dorms, you have communal showers, right? Obviously when you were out of dorms, you didn't. So like, it was very common for people to be like, oh, cool. Like shower beers. And by the way, for it to be very common for people, I mean, like the alcoholically drinking people, they may not have been alcoholics, but the people I was hanging out with that drink in an alcoholic manner at that time, shower beers was like an appropriate thing to do. So yeah, but I would have never classed it as drinking upon waking up, right? I would have been like, that's different. That's like a social drinking, you know? It's like brunch. Like I was never like a, a need to crack a beer the moment I woke up. So I guess it's important to um to mention that last that last kind of sentence, which really gives me like shivers without being too dramatic, but it does. It says the bottom came up and hit us. And, you know, for me, I I can say with my hand on my heart that I know that if I continue drinking, I would end up having to have a drink in the morning to cope with whatever I had, whatever situation I had created for myself by continuing to drink. And this is a progressive illness. I uh, For me, I know because... I my illness progressed in a way that was kind of scary. I kept trying to like hack ways to drink more. And I know that I would have basically made it kind of acceptable to drink in the morning because I was already doing that for unacceptable things. You know, I remember I was, and the reason I talk about this on a podcast is because I think it's really important to talk about, but it got to the point where basically I wanted to get into blackout, but I didn't, I wanted to keep drinking throughout the night. So I worked out a specific amount of, of a drug would basically keep me from toppling over into the vomit or blackout stage. And like, I had this to a fine art. And honestly, when I found out this kind of hack, I was like, oh my God, like, this is it. I found it. This is, this is gonna, this is gonna enable me to live my best life. And that is kind of scary when you think about it. And also it didn't work because I just got fully, fully addicted to the other thing as well. So yeah, Daniel, chuckling away. So come on, share what you, share what you have. Um, I'm chuckling. It's just that like 
the the scientist you know i i'd say like once you think that you've cracked the secret to like being able to to master drinking the amount that you're drinking of whatever you know dry goods you might have been using let's say it's not it's not right it's all of a sudden all you've done is found something that allows yourself to continue drinking longer to then just prolong the absolute nightmare that it is but like you don't see it that way if you're like and i i know people now especially with with other types of things besides alcohol and, and probably the two most common drugs that we're, we've talked about on this episode where like you know they're they are literally acting as if they're chemists and they're like no no, no i've got the i've got the perfect blend and this is this gets me up and then that gets me down and then that and that and you're like yeah but you're just doing all of that to change your mind and like for me that's that's the escapism right so completely and it's it's what i spoke about last night when i shared back to you it's this cognitive dissonance which i've been reading about a lot in an amazing book by brené brown which has just come out called the atlas of the heart and it basically goes through all the different emotions shout out to Brené. It's incredible. I would really recommend it. And, but she talks about cognitive dissonance, which is basically the idea that, you know, something is bad, but you convince yourself otherwise. So I use the example of smoking last night, but you can use alcohol, drugs, whatever. Let's use alcohol for the sake of this podcast. You know, alcohol is very bad for my mental health. It has very significant physical effects to me, but it makes me feel so good and I have so much fun on it and it's basically this the brain rationalize and you know basically give give uh, give a reason to do it still and it's so interesting that I still have this with many many things in my life and that's I think what makes me an addict but in the same way you know talking about the 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 the, the drug that we were talking about and I know this is an AA podcast but it's important to think about I was just so completely oblivious to an impact that it is having in the place that it's manufactured. One of my best friends is is from Colombia. We've had many conversations about where this drug comes from, what impact it has on people in Colombia. And she says, it's honestly, we don't touch it. We do not touch it because we know that it, it's the, that the reason that many, many people in my family have been killed, you know? And I was like, oh my God, that's so interesting because when I was drinking, I had no care in the world or no awareness where this drug came from. And it's just an interesting thing to think about. Like we will convince ourselves no matter what, when we're an addict or when we're, you know, really, really, you know, loving some kind of substance that it's okay. I don't know if you want to add something to that, Dan. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, on that side, right? Like in reality, everybody wants to get as close to as pure from that place as possible when they're doing it without thinking about the consequences of it. So yeah, absolutely true. So I think though, you know, what the, the listeners really want to know lots is AA right for you based on the self-assessment we're doing. So you're on, you're on number four here. So you said, we said no to drinking during the, uh, w- upon awakening for you. We gave you, so number five is, uh, did you envy people who can drink without getting in trouble? I mean, with all my heart, honestly, I, like my best, best friend, she, since 13, she just, she nails it. She can really handle her drink. Like, I don't think I've seen her out of control ever. And I used to honestly be just completely baffled by the fact that she could we could kind of drink the same amount and she would be a sane human and i would be the drunk uncle i just couldn't understand it what about you dan yeah i i think certain things for me and i always struggle with this when i'm in meetings like 
I didn't think about any of this before I came in, right? Like, I didn't think that I envy anybody for their drinking. Like, it's just, I probably did, but I, I never internalized that feeling. I would be jealous of people that could go out and just, just not have, not run into issues. So six is, have you had problems connected with drinking during the past year? We're just going to go with a yes for that. And has drinking caused you trouble at home? I'm going to go. It was a yes for me. I'm going to assume it was. It was was an absolute 100% yes for me. My boyfriend, who's now my husband, was on the brink of breaking up with me because he couldn't handle it. So yes. Do you, uh, did, did you ever try to get extra drinks at a party because you did not get enough? Oh my God, this crap, this like literally seeps shame all over my body because I was a psycho at like parties or when there was free drinks, I went, I went insane. Like I remember I actually, I was at Union Leeds and I remember I left a pre-mixed bottle of like, you know, seven up and vodka or something on the side of the table. And I was so drunk and I saw this guy drinking this bottle and I was like, he's, he's stolen from me. And I went up and I had a proper fight with this guy. And I was like, you've stolen my drink. And he was like, I literally haven't, this is mine. Like, what are you talking about? And I, I was like about to get physical about him stealing my drink. Anyway. Just, just, just for a question, like how many feet did this guy have on you? I mean, he was probably six, six, three, and I'm five, five. So it wasn't looking good for Lottie. But, you know, this is the insanity. When someone tried to take alcohol that I felt was rightly mine, I went mad. And I, of course, I found the, my bottle like in the loo where I'd left it. But yeah, what about you, Dad? Yeah, I was, I was a schemer. I was a schemer with like how I tried to survive the night. Like I, I, I discovered that I could put my, I put money in my, my shoe so that I'd have money for a taxi home. I used to swap SIM cards and like use a really cheap phone, which my, I call my drunk phone so that if I, I wouldn't lose my iPhone. So I would just like swap the SIM cards going out. That's um, kind of clever. Yeah. I, it's just the problem. You know, a lot, a lot of alcoholics can, can be smart and they put it towards foolish endeavors. So yeah, you know, and that was to me, totally rational behavior, not like, you know, controlling my drinking better. So yeah, extra drinks, all about it, scheming, whatever I could, definitely part of it. So did you tell yourself you can stop drinking at any time you want, even though you keep getting drunk when you don't mean to? So yeah, this is a really interesting one because I definitely felt that I had lost control by the end. I really, really was really scared actually but there was obviously a small part of me that felt that I want you know I I could which is why I I didn't end up in AA until I was 23 but I think the moment that I looked up an AA meeting I I knew that I had lost control and I was really really scared about that what about you so I I went on antidepressants at one point my life and it was right around Lent, so i use that and so i went did the 40 days without alcohol and then i did the 60 days without alcohol so that was maybe two and a half years before i quit drinking so maybe two years i had proven to myself that i could i could go 60 days and and and, you know i had like some medical reason you know that you shouldn't drink on antidepressants plus my life was pretty horrific when i was drinking so i had this glimmer of my life being better. But that also then meant that I had proven that I could stop for a period of time. But what I hadn't proven is that I could drink like a gentleman, that that famous quote, right? Like, so I'd proven that I could not drink and get by and I'd proven that I could drink and not get by. 
but I, I never managed outside a few random nights to prove that I could like, you know, just have one and, and be fine. So did you miss days of work or school because of drinking? Oh, yes. This makes me just, again, just cringe. I actually didn't miss as many as I probably should have. I definitely, I, I remember I, I missed I was a TA basically and I missed I missed a couple for sure but I also went into so you were missing school and work at once yeah, in the same yeah wow. but I also went to school very inebriated so there's an argument to be said that I definitely should not have been at school but I think again that was like my way of kind of trying to tell myself in the world that I was okay and that it was okay and that it was kind of funny because I was walking down that corridor and everyone, all the teachers would be like, you stink of like, seriously. But, you know, I was like, but it's fine. I'm here. I'm doing my job. I'm not missing my job. It's okay. But I mean, I definitely should not have been looking after small children at that point. What about you, Dan? Yeah. So this always makes me think of the story, like the classic, like oh, I made it to work, but really shouldn't have. Because, you know, if I'd missed work, then, then I was an alcoholic. So I got there. I definitely drink a beer on the way there as well. I'm pretty sure so somebody else was driving at that time. My alcoholism hadn't progressed that far yet. Yeah. So in the US, I don't know if this is a cultural thing in the UK, but if you fall asleep with your shoes on or not drinking, you're fair game to get drawn on. I don't know if you guys do this. I mean, I think I've done something similar, but basically all the utensils in the kitchen and all of the furniture gets put on top of me. Similar thing of, yeah, taking advantage of someone drunk and vulnerable. Yeah. So I, so I fell asleep with my shoes on. I actually am not even sure that I, I still had my shoes on. I might've taken them off as a defensive mechanism, but either way I had a bunch of dicks thrown on me and, and my mates all knew that I was going to to work the next day. So I woke up in the morning and like face alarms this uh, like permanent marker. So I got in the shower and I'm like scrubbing, get all of them off. I'm going to wear a long sleeve t-shirt. That's fine. I worked with the Apple store at the time. And so I was walking into the, the back room with a t-shirt hung over my back, like the Apple store t-shirt. And as I walked by my boss, I said morning, and I was like, right on time. I was coming in with some somebody else and he's looking at me and he's like you look rough and I just pulled the shirt off my back and he had turned and he saw that there was one directly in the back of my neck and he like lovely guy pulled me in he's like what like he's like I should you know what what the fuck like what is this I was like honestly I had no idea like obviously my mates thought it was funny <laughs> they did it elsewhere but I caught it so like this is just he's like yeah those aren't friends those are assholes and I was like, yeah you're probably right so he like helped me in the bathroom, like get it off my neck. And then he's like, you need to stand with your back from customers for the rest of the day. Yeah. I mean, that, that is kind of amusing, but sad. And I, I'm going to share a very short and non-rambly story towards that. But I mean, Are you saying my story was rambly? No, no. I'm just, I have a tendency to ramble. So I'm just going to like rein it in for myself. I went to, um, I woke up from blackout and my alarm went off and I was like, oh Christ, I've got to go to school. And I was kind of late and just not functioning. And I put on this dress and I forgot to put a bra on. And this dress was like, like very revealing, let's just say. So I went to school wearing a dress that, that you could kind of see everything. I mean, just unbelievable. And I was like, haha, this is so funny in my head. But looking back, I'm quite, I don't think that's okay, actually. But yeah, just basic, basic, un, you know, underwear wasn't, wasn't put on at that point. Manageability um, 101, you know. <laughs> Literally. 
All right, so we got two more questions to find out if AA thinks that lots and I were, were alcoholics when we came in. Do you have blackouts or did you? I mean, yeah, I mean, come on. This is, this is what my drinking was about. I was, I, I drank to black out. So that's a yes from me. Yeah, I was, I was, I don't know. If it, if I could have been, I'm like, honestly, probably 97% of the time I drank, there was a blackout. Yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, I would probably say similar, maybe a little bit less, but. Yeah, I, I, 97 yeah. seems like a lot, only because of the number of times I drank. So yeah, I'll bring it down to like, 90s nine out of ten times it's because we remember you know the the blackouts were hard to forget let's just say yeah exactly all right number 12 have you ever felt that your life would be better if you did not drink oh my god i mean read just just take a look at my diaries age 15 to 23 because honestly i wrote a diary because i was like i'm anxious and you know i think this would really help me to figure out what, what i'm feeling and I looked through them. I couldn't look at them actually for like a couple of years. And last year I looked through them and honestly, it's just the most heartbreaking thing because it's basically me just being like, I can't, I don't understand why I can't control my alcohol. I know that it's going to kill me. I know that my life would be so much better without it, but I just can't stop. Um, Like, I don't know who I am without it. It's just heartbreaking. So yeah. So we were 11 out of 12. We said yes to. So how many questions do you think you need to say yes to for AA's self-assessment to tell you that you uh, are probably in trouble with alcohol? I guess maybe half. So they say if you answered yes four or more time, then you prob- you're probably in trouble with alcohol. But, you know, then they say you can keep doing research and they don't promise to solve your life's problems. But one day at a time, Woo-hoo! you can stay away from the first drink. And that's the trick. So what's what's interesting and why we subjected the the listeners to hearing us do a self-assessment test is if you look at those questions, none of those are, do you live on a park bench? None of those are, have you lost your job? Have you lost a house? Is your life a country song? How much are you drinking? Yeah. For, you know, the, the classic, if you're drinking more than four servings of alcohol a week, then you may, you know, none of that, right? Because it's all about your relationship with alcohol, not how the world def- defines it. And yeah, I, I think I'm not sure that if you'd shown me this at 20, I would have been like, oh yeah, sign me up for AA. It took me a bit bit longer. I probably would have answered yes to just as many if you'd if you had shown it to me when I was 20. But I, I, I would I probably would have just said yes, but I would have like found an excuse to not be, you know, a full yes. So before we wrap. I guess the the idea of what is an alcoholic, the conceptions of it, especially when you're young, are are quite scary. So what what would be you know if you could if you could change people's idea of what an alcoholic is, what would what would be what you wish people saw? I guess that for me it would be that control. I keep going back to that word because you know control is an interesting word and it means a lot of different things, but. If you are drinking more than you would you want to frequently and it's causing you to, yeah, basically hate the way that you feel, feel that you're an awful person, you're internalizing that behavior, then for me that that is 
what constitutes being an alcoholic. It's that, it's that lack of control and the way that you see yourself as well for that lack of control. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I completely agree. I had that phenomenon of craving. You know, if I had alcohol, I wanted more alcohol. There's a lie that you tell yourself that, oh, no, that craving is only like, I remember I once heard somebody say, yeah, when, when the book talks about phenomenon craving, they mean like 48 hours. They don't mean like, you know, like you will be consumed with plenty of your next drink and, you know, this. And even if you're not actively drinking, you're thinking about it, you know, you relate things to when you'll be drinking, you're living for that moment when you drink, no matter kind of how long it is between the drinks. If you, the second you start with the alcohol, you can't control it, then you are. I found it really interesting because when I came into the rooms, that's what I, I thought an alcoholic was, you know, somebody who couldn't control their drink and just how far that bottom, you know, going back to the reading, does the bottom come up and hit you or do you fall down to that bottom? You know, people have different bottoms, high bottom, low bottom, whatever the, the saying is. But then you get into the rooms for a bit of time and then people talk about, well, it's your thinking. It's that spiritual malady. It's that hole in the soul. So, you know, do you ever... I don't know if you've ever struggled with, with that second part. Like, I think it's really easy for me to say I was an alcoholic because of the way I drank, but then for me to say, I'm an alcoholic because of the way I think. And then, you know, oh, I'm an addict because I do that. Like sometimes I like, I want to just be like, oh, well, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't drink. But like, if I solve the not drinking and just don't drink, then that's fine. Now I obviously don't think that 2000 days in, I think there's more to it than that. That's why I'm still here. That's why doing stuff like this, but I, I do find myself falling into that trap. I don't know if you've ever fallen into that trap before. They always say came for the, came for the drinking, stayed for the thinking. Yeah. That's such an interesting point. What does, what, what makes an addict, you know, an addict thinking an addict, I guess. Yeah. It's hard. I guess for me, I, I know that every day I have to work on and, and battle the the obsession and the want and the needs that you know it feels like I need to change the way that I feel and I guess that that comes in many shapes and forms and for me I kind of think of that the more time that I've had in sobriety and working a program it seems to me that the the alcohol was my was a medicine for what was going on underneath I essentially used alcohol to medicate myself because I didn't feel like I was good enough. I didn't feel that I was normal. I didn't feel that I fitted in. And essentially that that goes on today still. But there's hope for everyone because when you work a program and you, you work the steps and you have a sponsor and you go to meetings and you share your insane thoughts, you know, for me, the meetings are my medicine that I was trying to, I was trying to find the same comfort in alcohol that I now have in the rooms. When I share how I'm feeling with friends and in the rooms, I get that, I get that comfort and I get that unity, which I never got with alcohol. And it's so interesting because they say that connection is the opposite of addiction. And I really, really felt that alcohol was, was my best friend and was the way that I got through life and the way that I continued as a human living and breathing. And it's so interesting that it was doing the opposite. It was isolating me and it was allowing me to be disconnected rather than connected. So yeah, that's what I've got for that. I have a mate in the rooms that absolutely hates that saying. And it's so funny because now I've heard them rant about it for so many times. I'm like conflicted on it. And we've, we've had like huge arguments about that one. I almost want to do an episode on that, that saying and bring them on and be like, discuss. 
I mean, I think I feel like you can't really argue against it. Oh, well, uh, I'm, and I get conflicted when they are because, yeah, like, you know, I was searching for a connection and I was looking at the wrong places. That's just true. I actually did a share the other day and I was talking about how, like, I was convinced that, you know, like I searched for connection through football, like supporters clubs. I could go to any city and I could be in a Liverpool or a Celtic supporters club and meet people. Problem is they didn't really want to be friends with me after they witnessed me drinking. So the alcohol got in the way of my ability to form connections. That's what I know for sure, which is why I'm an alcoholic. So last question, lots of, just because we did talk about the subject of the potential that we both indulged in other substances besides alcohol. Did you do any meetings outside of AA around those, or did you find that AA was was where you were at home when it came to to tackling kind of those those issues? Yeah, really interesting question. And I definitely have thought a lot about this because I definitely dabbled in in some dry substances, as you would say. But my conclusions after many conversations with my sponsor and kind of reflecting on my journey, my conclusion was that alcohol was definitely my one true love. That alcohol was primarily the reason that I would pick up other things. And the other things I used to enable me to drink more and to basically feel, I don't know, so out of it that I didn't, you know, I didn't think, okay, I just blacked out so badly that I'm never going to drink again. So it enabled me. Those things were enablers rather than kind of the the primary thing that I I was I would say addicted to. You know, addicted to is an interesting and and maybe another podcast to discuss the word addiction. But yeah, that would be that would be my saying. And also, you can use the program in so many ways. I mean, alcohol was the thing that was going to kill me the first, right? But I can use alcohol. I used alcohol to stop smoking, which is you know proof that it works. But uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm the thought of doing other dry substances without alcohol is not that appealing to me, I have to say. What about you, Dan? Yeah, it's the same for me. So I have been to, to one NA meeting unknowingly. I was in Dubai. The meeting was in Arabic and the AA meeting was one floor above. And I did not realize that until the end of that meeting when they told me. When I shared back in English, it was like, uh, everybody was looking at me. I'm like, well, I don't speak Arabic, but I've sat through this whole meeting and I relate to the body language, people talking said, but I said, I'm an alcoholic. And they were like, you're one of us, but by the way, you want it to be one floor up. So that's my one experience. I, yeah, I, I think I qualify for, for other fellowships for the, the dry substances. I could, I could make an argument that I'd qualify. I've, I've not been to one because yeah, for me, alcohol was what was going to kill me first. And I picked up everything else because of alcohol and, and it's at the root of anything. And I think to be honest, if I were yeah, you know, I'm slightly concerned that the only reason I'd go to to certain other fellowships in, say, West London would be because I'd just be there to see famous people, and uh, you know, that's the wrong reason to go to a meeting. That's so, brutal honesty. I respect that. Yeah, brutal honesty. Well, the problem is you end up knowing where they are, but then you're like, I can't go. That would be wrong. So yeah, I think that's kind of kind of it for me. If you see me at one of them, then you know, to her, there was a famous person there. Please um, take a picture and send it in. Yeah. Uh, wrap me out. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's interesting. You know, I know other people that other fellowships have been really strong. And so if you're somebody listening and you're considering if you should go to another one, by all means, like explore it, figure it out. I just figured because we went down the topic of, of those slightly, we, we'd address that. But for me, yeah, like you said, 
AA has, has been my route to solving everything. So with that, I think we will end with what's something you're grateful for. This question always, always um, kind of shocks me, even though I know that it's been <laughs> What am I grateful for? I am grateful for friendships within AA. I think it's really amazing that, you know, we've never met each other, but we've been working on this podcast for like almost a year, I'd say. And it's really, really a pleasure to know you. And I think that's something that, you know, only AA can do is bring people together who would never normally have met each other or, you know, develop that friendship. So yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that, so I can't, can't do it now, but ditto to everything you said. But what I will say is this week I've gone to two in-person meetings for the first time since before the pandemic. So I've been thoroughly enjoying and doing loads of Zoom meetings and it's been great, but you know, I still have really only been to in-person meetings when I've been asked to do a chair. So I should probably start showing up when it's not about me, but yeah, it's, it's been really nice to have that bit of normality and also going to a different meeting. Like I did go to a meeting last night and it was lovely, like a bunch of new alcoholics relating, connecting, identifying in person. It was amazing. It's, it was, it was like, it was, you know, back before. And, and for me, that's not been really part of my recovery since the pandemic to the level that it was. So I'm grateful to have those opportunities again. So with that, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with a speaker or a topic. Please like, and subscribe. And if you have any questions or feedback about what you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message on Instagram at young and sober podcast, or email us young and sober at outlook.com. That's it for yet another episode. We are young and sober.